Hello, this is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust, our podcast series which examines from a range of different perspectives how firms are tackling the issue of consumers in vulnerable situations. Today's podcast was recorded in front of a live internet studio audience bringing together people from across the UK, so therefore you might notice the sound quality in some parts does reflect this. Hello, welcome to Vulnerability Matters. I'm Chris Fitch from the Money Advice Trust. Today we're talking about outcomes. Now, the New York Times best-selling author, Deepak Chopra, once rather boldly said, in my life, nothing goes wrong. When things don't meet my expectations, I let go of how I think things should be. It's just a matter of not having any attachment to a fixed outcome. Now, clearly, Deepak has never worked in vulnerability or met our guest panelists today who I can already hear are shuffling in their seats with righteous anger and outcome-related range. And this is because when it comes to vulnerability, outcomes are now front and center of most essential regulator strategies, including the FCA, and very much a priority in firms' to-do lists. So with the FCA's expectation that vulnerable customers should experience outcomes that are as good as those of other consumers ringing in our ears, we asked today, just what is an outcome? Why are the FCA so attached to them? And which ones should firms measure? Joining us to answer these questions are three of our own chart-topping thinkers in a slightly revised panel. Uh, Peter Tutton, Head of Policy at StepChange. Jane Roderick, Head of Customer Vulnerability at uh, Insight and Strategy at Lloyd's. And Ian Phillips, who co-leads the Money Vice Trust and UK Finance Vulnerability Academy, which starts its sixth cohort on September 2nd, and also works at Equifax UK in risk and compliance. And of course, we have you, our live audience, uh, Deepak, if you're there, please do uh, raise your questions, who are already using the question and chat box on their screen to share their questions, comments, and experiences about outcomes. So uh, uh, let's start right at the beginning. And I'm going to begin with a uh, Peter, uh, Peter, just what is an outcome and why do they matter so much when it comes to vulnerability? Uh, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a tricky concept in, in many ways thinking about it. It seems so big and, and difficult. And when we were thinking about outcomes, which we started measuring for debt advice, we thought for quite hard, what's an outcome rather than an output? And, and an outcome, I think, is, is a change state. Um, it's not just something you deliver, a number of things you do. It's a change state for someone. It's something that is different. So in terms of vulnerability, I guess outcomes is about measuring the difference that an activity or intervention is making in someone's lives, in one of our clients' or customers' lives. Um, and that's when you distinguish that from an output, which is just, you know, how many calls we've made it's kind of it's it's more qualitative it's as a result of what we've done have we stopped some harm doing have we in, enabled someone to do something which they otherwise wouldn't have done um have we ensured you know it is it's are, are we sure that kind of that change we made for product or service means that our vulnerable clients are now needs are met when maybe they weren't being met before so why is it so important to measure it when it comes to vulnerability well 
in many ways, vulnerability is about understanding how the policies and practices of service providers, whether they be financial services, debt advice, or, or anyone else really, is about how our policies and practices um, land on the ground for different people and understanding that they may have differential outcomes for different people. So something that we do, something that we deliver, a way that we do it may mean that our customers, different ones of our customers, experience a different utility to that or even a disutility to it. So in a sense, vulnerability and outcomes are very closely bound together because what we're trying to think about there is the idea of what's a good outcome? What do we want to happen for our, our clients and customers? And then we're delivering a strategy to make sure that works. Now, how do we know those, you know, those, for instance, vulnerability, which is a relational concept in some ways, how do we know that those customers are being treated as well, say, as other customers if we don't measure it? How do we measure it other than through the actual outcomes, the things that they experience and happen to them as a result of the service? So the two things are very tightly related to each other. So essentially, there, did it happen? Did we prevent it uh, happening and being very clear about what it is we wanted to prevent or what it was that we wanted to, to happen? That That's really helpful Ian, Ian Phillips you're, you're listening there this is this is a big issue uh, and it's something that's been around for a while in terms of uh, uh, how we go about um, addressing these outcomes so from your perspective just what is an outcome and why do they matter so much yeah I'll take the second one first in time-ordered fashion if that's all right so um, I think I think the reason it matters is because um, most of us are working within the perimeters of the FCA's regulation and the FCA are an outcomes-based regulator. So the FCA sets regulation, has rule books, you know, all, all, all sorts of things that you can get lost in, but ultimately what they do is define a set of outcomes and those are at a high level presented in their principles for business. So things like firms must pay due regard to a customers circumstances and treat them fairly those kind of things and and so they're, they're interested in whether you've followed their regulation or not but any of us who've ended up sat sweating mildly in a face-to-face -face conversation with the fca when they're trying to establish whether something has gone wrong will know that they're focused on whether they think you've delivered the right outcome or not and they'll say to you well, the rest of it is only really principles. So they won't give you a black and white view of what good looks like and what is and isn't acceptable. They will judge retrospectively based on the outcome that's been delivered. So that's why outcomes are absolutely crucial in everything that we do in financial services. And yeah, most regulators, um, you know, whether it's utilities, telecoms, that kind of thing as well, follow a similar standpoint even if some of them are slightly more prescriptive so so it's important per se and then it's important for vulnerability because the fca do two things at the start of their guidance they tell us what they think a vulnerable customer is so it's somebody who due to their circumstances is at greater risk of harm particularly if a firm isn't acting with due care and attention and then they tell us that the outcome they want to deliver is the one you talked about to start with, which is that vulnerable customers receive as good an outcome as everybody else. So they're absolutely focused on outcome. That is the yardstick by which they will judge us. And delivery of outcomes that are as good 
is the be all and end all of the vulnerability guidance they presented us with. Fantastic. So the outcomes are giving us the destination mm -hmm. and the principles are giving us some sense of how we should travel there. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. So at the risk of making this a very short webinar, the things we need to measure are whether our vulnerable consumers are getting the outcomes that are as good as everybody else. And therefore, the things that we need to focus on firm as firms from a vulnerability perspective is understanding where there is the potential for that outcome to be different because of somebody's vulnerability and putting in place the treatments to make sure it's just as good. Mm. So, I, Ian, just to disagree with you there slightly, I don't think anybody wants short webinars. I think five <laughs> or six hours is what we should be aiming for. Uh, Jane Roderick, thanks, Ian. Jane Roderick um, from Lloyd's uh, listening in there. Uh, talk about outcomes. Why do they matter so much? Uh, right. So, yes, apologies. I don't think I missed the beginning bit as well. So apologies, Chris. So um, uh, in terms of outcomes, I think if we think about uh, you know, customers, you know, an outcome is both, I guess, tangible. So what did the customer um, did they get the right service, did they get the right product that best met their needs, the kind of the what, but also the end-to-end -end experience, the kind of the subjective, how was that experience, was it stress-free, was it um, quick, easy, empathetic? So you know, if, if, if we're here really obviously to deliver for our customers the kind of making sure we're, we're tracking both what, are they getting what they wanted uh, and, and needed and how they did it becomes you know, incredibly important and, and clearly we need to to monitor that to help us understand where we may need to do more or where we're doing that that well that's fantastic and we're getting um in in the fca's guidance the the term outcome is mentioned 43 times in there so it, it's que uh, clearly quite important and we are jason our super producer today is counting the number of times that we're saying outcome so we'll give you a final number uh, at, the, at the very end but it, the work that you're doing at, at the moment uh jane just to kind of move us on a, a little bit i mean how long have lloyd's been thinking about these outcomes because it's not a, it's not a new thing is it just come off mute so uh, now I, I couldn't give you an answer probably on how well how long have we been looking at, at outcomes I think but if I, if I look at how long have we been looking at um, vulnerability as a topic and how we might uh, serve the needs of, of, of our customers who, who might need some additional flexibility or, or you know support to to get to the outcome I probably just kind of echo what, what Ian was saying around it. it is about making sure that um, you know our customers can access those those services um, as easily as possible and we've we've got the right customer treatments or you know options in place to help them do that that easily and, and really I kind of come back to the way in which you 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 want to check that you're able to do that through you know a variety of, of kind of monitoring and um, and, mm. and checking in through you know data and interacting with customers to understand what they're what, what they're experiencing and and and, and Ian yeah. Phillips it, it has been around for a while hasn't it yeah and and as have I, so I can I could probably give you a, a rough a rough answer to Jane's question. So Jane will know that you know I, I was at Lloyd's for a while, um, and and I would say it was around about 2011 that Lloyd's first started testing outcomes, um, and I, and I remember that because it was following on from one of those slightly sweaty conversations with the FCA, where the FCA came and and asked us to demonstrate, not, not for vulnerable customers at that stage, but in terms of one of the sales channels, asked us to uh, show them how we knew that 
customers were getting the right results, so how we knew that product sales were appropriate. And at that stage, and I think that was true across the industry, we showed them a lot of paperwork where we were able to evidence that the salesperson had followed the process and that they had all the required documents. And therefore, we assumed that because the process had been followed, the outcome was a fair one. And the FCA said, yeah, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? So how do you know that the customer understood it? How did you know that they knew what they'd bought, what to do with it, and you know what the what the pros and cons were both now and for the future? And, and so that's where outcome measurement came in and essentially it involved actually bringing the customer into that conversation and not just checking that you had all the right paperwork, but making sure the customer could actually demonstrate the understanding hmm. that you expected them to have. And, and so it's all sort of moved on from there. It's, it, it's grown arms and legs that become all sorts of different methods for testing outcomes that aren't anymore just about bringing customers up during Coronation Street, which is what we used to do. But, um, but, but that was the principle of it. And that I think both Peter and Jane have talked about elements of that, which is it's not just about whether they were able to access the service they needed, but it was about the ease with which they could do so and in particular the fact that it was just as easy for them despite their circumstances as it would be for somebody who had no additional circumstances or needs to take into account mm, that's a, so in many respects and let's um let, let's let, let's let's take the conversation one step further so starting with um with peter in many respects um outcomes about proving it prove it show show that this this happened or you prevented this uh, uh, detrimental state from happening. And one of the things I, I love about the uh, the podcasts and webinars we do is is our, our audience often write the uh, questions as we go along. So Vicky Reynolds-Jones has really um, tuned into this, this next gear change. And that is, you know, to be clear as to what a good outcome is, is absolutely key before we then go about measuring that. So Peter, when it comes to vulnerability, how do we decide which outcomes we need to monitor and measure? So, no, I mean, the, the clarity about good outcomes is, is, is absolutely clear. And I, I don't think there is a stock answer. So, you know, we all have different client groups and slightly different services and products. And it is about reaching in and thinking about, you know, what you do and how it meets your customer's needs. So there isn't necessarily a stock answer. So I think that the starting point is what in the charity sector we tend to grandly call the theory of change. And actually, that's a bit about what we're talking about. So some of that is about understanding um, how what we do can have good or bad effects on our customers, depending on how we do it. And um, in a sense, you know, one of the things about vulnerability is understanding uh, that vulnerability isn't just something that sits in a person, but it is relational. It's about how do our policies and practices um, steer different clients to, to good or bad places. So that's certainly part of it. But I think there's a bit more to it than that. And, and when we were thinking about outcomes for our debt advice services, we sort of tried to hypothesize, you know, what what is someone's journey through debt advice in terms of, and we measure three, nine and 15 months after advice. And we say, well, where do we think people should be ideally at each of those points? So we weren't just thinking, we were obviously thinking about our service and what our service should do, but we were also thinking from a sort of customer point of view, you know, you're in debt, you go debt advice, you go to debt advice, where do you want to be at after it? So I don't think it's just about looking at the services you have now. There's a step back from there and look about, well, from what 
we're here to do and what we do, what are the outcomes that we think, you know, what is it that people, why do people use our service? What do they want from it? And you start from that kind of thinking. So before you get into the nitty gritty about how it works, is have a very clear idea what you're for. Then think about what does harm and what does good. And then you've sort of, you've got something that's looking like a theory of change. You're trying to understand how what you do produces different outcomes. And when you're then thinking about which one to measure, and that will will be different and will be specific to your to your services. Um, I mean, in terms of some general things, there is going to be a bunch of things which are relevant to uh, vulnerability, which are things about accessibility, understanding, uh, which Ian just talked about. Um, avoiding sludge. Sludge is the FCA word of the moment, which is kind of practices, informational other practices that kind of slow consumer journeys or cause harm by, by sort of directing or slowing consumer like exit practices that kind of slow stuff down. So there's a bunch of things that you might look at in terms of sort of classic sort of um, vulnerability questions about things like um, accessibility. Uh, but then there's probably some other things as well getting into say, um, Sort of some more specific product and service specific outcomes that you have to sort of think about in terms of each one. Um, I'm trying to give a sense in, in, in what we did in debt advice. You know, we'll be looking at a range of different outcomes from different bits of the debt advice process. What's the outcome of our budgeting advice? Are people able to manage their budgets after advice? Are they able to make ends meet? You know, if not, why not? Um, are they making progress with their debts? Are they still having problems with emergencies or have they been dealt with? So it's quite specific picking into different points mm -hmm. against that theory of change that says after advice, all these kind of things should be dealt with and people should be on a sort of happy path to financial health. So there's, there's, there's a thing about kind of you know different things, so specifically there are things you drill into your product and look at different things. Then the next thing is if you can identify your different sort of and understand and know your different customers and where they are and different vulnerabilities. It's really then about your measuring, matching the two together and monitoring uh, by things like cross-tabbing your data. So if you are putting um, different kind of, so you're looking at for differences, for patterns. So are there different patterns in these outcomes between different people? Is this group of clients consistently getting a worse set of outcomes on one of these indicators that you've developed from another one? So it's, it's there's not a hard and fast answer there. There is a process to work mm -hmm. through. And it's a process that starts with developing quite a deep understanding first, know yourself as a firm what are you there for what are you trying to do what in your mind is the good for your customers then looking at your actual processes and trying to map outcomes onto them then it's about gathering data of how those outcomes work for different clients and then you can look at both absolute scores so to all or most vulnerable clients get x outcome but then also relational scores are the proportion of clients that get x better or worse than other clients that's that's very helpful. Now, Ian, you, you're listening in there, and uh, Peter's yep. talked about thinking uh, both about kind of the, the, sh the short-term outcome and the longer-term outcome. But yeah. one thing I was really struck by, um, and Stephen Hall also commented on this, is um, sometimes uh, what you think is a good customer outcome is actually something the customer's not expecting or perhaps not desiring. So you know, when it comes to vulnerability. How do we decide which outcomes we need to monitor and how do we know which are the, the good ones for customers? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I think um, 
just a pad a bit while I think. Uh, I think the point that Peter made is a, a really important one. And if we take this back to the FCA's expectations, so not just what should we do, what does step change do, but what the FCA is expecting, they talk about understanding your customer base and target markets. That's the customers you've got and the customers you intend to attract about understanding the vulnerabilities that manifest themselves within that customer base and then thinking about how that interacts with the products and services that you offer. So there's that big tulip at the start of the guidance that shows all the potential vulnerabilities that are out there. It's no good, and I've seen some firms try to do this, it's no good just mapping all of those, but it could because your customers won't necessarily look like that. Um, you might have all of those things to one degree or another, but you know some of them will be more prevalent and, and some less prevalent, some may not exist at all. <clears throat> and then I've also heard some firms say, well, we don't need to think about this anymore because we are a national company, we have a cross section of the population and therefore it's just gonna look like that tulip. But then you need to remember that you need to think about the products and services you're offering. So mm. you might have an average set of customers, but vulnerabilities might be increased, decreased, created or removed through the products and services that you offer and make money out of. So all of those things need to be taken into account. But coming back to your your actual question, um, <clears throat> I think the point is there needs to be an, an element of, of asking the customer. Um, mm. And I, I've seen a lot of firms over my time kicking around this area who almost played this game of vulnerability bingo where it's about spotting the vulnerability and you know when we spot the vulnerability we write it down and we you know we bang a gong to say we've we've spotted another vulnerable customer then potentially what we do is have a set of treatments that we offer to a customer with that vulnerability and to your point we just roll that out to that customer and they and go there you go we've given you what you need mm. what we don't do is ask the customer what a good outcome looks like and I think that's the really crucial point here so what support does that customer need what treatment do they need to get them to where they need to be can we offer that to them um, and then what we have to do is overlay that with to some regulatory requirements because there may be things that the customer wants us to do that we can't do mm. there may be things the customer wants us to do but there's a the regulator says there's a way in which we have to go about it but I think the first the first and foremost thing should be, what does the customer want? What mm -hmm. does a good outcome look like for them? And then, so there's almost, that this takes us into another area, which is about how you measure all of this. And in my mind, the important thing is to measure outcome and process separately, because the two are not always the same thing. So you can get to the right outcome without following the right process you can get to the wrong outcome despite following the right process. So split the two out and measure outcome and process. But to your particular point, the thing that has to trump all is, is the customer happy that the outcome that they got is the one that they needed? And I think without taking your host duties, Jane might have something to say on this because I know that splitting those two things out is something that Lloyd's have been looking at. That's fine, Ian. I can just go make a cup of tea. But uh, Jane, <laughs> Jane, would you like like to come in there and pick up on some of what Ian and perhaps some of what Peter has, has been saying as well? Yeah, no, no, happy to. So I think I think you know it's a great conversation and kind of agreeing with with the points that both Peter and, and Ian have made. I think the, the the bits I'd build on, really thinking about that the kind of the customer and that that you know that our purpose really being here to help. Um, help the, prevent and mitigate risks of harm for that customer as they as they are looking to 
conclude their, their interaction, I guess, you know, with, with the sales um, and ensuring that back to that point about vulnerable customers uh, receiving outcomes as good as those for other customers. I think um, in, in that we need to recognise that, you know, that could, those risks of harm that could impact uh, people differently, they could overlap, you could have, you know, cause and effect, one could lead to another. And, and that really means we need to monitor uh, almost to Ian's point around what the customer is looking for, the, the outcomes for, for all rather than being able to um, select one over another. Um, and I, I would absolutely agree. I think historically, you know, firms may have determined outcomes through that kind of process adherence, but but we do need to kind of now look broader uh, to to ensure we're providing that flexibility, um, you know, transparency to, to customers to meet to meet those needs and tracking and then learning where where we can identify we need to we need to perhaps do more. And it's it's really interesting. I open this one up to all three of you. Peter talked there about uh, the three months, the nine months, and the fifteen months. Um, I wondered would that be an outcome approach that would be taken within uh, financial service firms or essential service firms? Because Peter was talking there about the journey and where we want to get someone with debt advice. Um, but Ian, is 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 that kind of longer term thinking on the slate for financial services, or is it a lot? Uh, a lot tighter window? I think it depends is the answer. So, so back to some of the other points we've been making, it, it depends what the outcome is that you're trying to measure and mm. what the relevant time frame is. So maybe, <laughs> I guess, um, is, is, is kind of the answer. But I think if I take Peter's point, I think what he's saying is that the outcome isn't just about putting a plaster on the problem. It's about fixing the broken leg. Um, mm. So it, you know, and therefore, it's not just about helping the customer now. It's about getting them out of their problem situation, um, mm. and so therefore, your three, six, nine, twelve months becomes relevant. Although, you know, I assume the further down that road you go, the more you have to consider the fact that there might be other circumstances that have caused the customer to return to that situation that weren't about the way you dealt with the problem. It's about other things that have happened in the customer's life since, but it doesn't mean it's not a relevant measure. You just have to put those considerations around it. Um, and then, you know, that, but I, I think it is definitely an area that financial services firms could move more towards. So again, if I go back to my examples, we used to be very focused on making sure that sales were appropriate. And we measured that by making sure that the customer, you know, it was suitable affordable and properly understood at the point of sale and then we shook the customer by the hand and we let them go and use that product but yeah i think there is a school of thought that says now you might want to look during that life cycle at six nine twelve months five years ten years to see whether it seems that the way that customer is using the product in practice matches what you expected it to look like so mm. You know, if a customer bought a balance transfer credit card, are they using it for balance transfers or are they now using it for spending, in which case something else might be more suitable for them? And mm. that doesn't mean that you missold them at the time, but it does mean that you might want to give them a nudge and just say, do you want to review your product? So, yeah, I think it, it all depends on the outcome you're trying to measure. On the other hand, if it is just a service that the customer is looking for, that is a one and done um, and that gets them to where they need to be. There will be a lot of situations where there's no point in measuring what happens afterwards. Okay, that, that's, let me push you a bit. I've got my, my hammer of certainty out, um, Ian. 
Peter and Jane. Um, and my hammer of certainty is saying, okay, this is great. I thought theoretical physics was complex, but uh, outcomes <laughs> appear to be equally mind bending. If you were recording just one or two outcomes on vulnerability, and you're not allowed to use the phrase, it depends in answering this. And I'm starting with you, Ian, one or two on vulnerability that uh, those listening uh, could, could take away. What, what would they be? Um, so they would be um, ability to access your services um, in, a, in a way that's equivalent to those customers who don't have vulnerabilities. So the fact that the channels that you offer allow the customer to access the service effectively. So, you know, if somebody has problems you know, using online systems, that you don't only offer them a digital route or that if you do, you put additional support around it to help them out. So I think, you know, access and ease of use would be would be one metric that you can have a look at. Um, and, and, you know, that that probably would be an overtime one. Um, so do, do you want three from me or were you going for three? From no, no, hold, hold fire. Keep your powder dry. If you've, if you've okay. got more, we'll turn to them in a second. Peter, you mentioned a couple when you were talking. Um, if you were to add a couple more or maybe just one more, to, uh, what would it be? So against your, your hammer of uh, certainty, I'm going to wield my gimlet of sarcasm and say, it would be vulnerability bingo, Chris. No, I mean, it, it is hard. I mean, there, there are some specific debt advice things. And I'm going to slightly dodge this question because I think it is really difficult. I mean, it is seriously, if you say, well, two things that are more important. The, the, the problem with outcomes is we say it's kind of a framework. And you look at different sorts of indicators and patterning in those indicators and you get a picture. It's not necessarily that one outcome is going to give you the whole truth. It really is about understanding the picture about how different aspects of services um, and products uh, and client circumstances interact against your kind of theory of change. But what I would say is that there's, there's different stories in there. So amongst those outcomes and when we thought about outcomes there's sort of four different stories uh, is one way we characterize it so there's one story which is almost like a basic sort of compliance story are our, are our products and services actually doing what we, we say they will do or is there any areas where they're not doing that in such a way that we are really uncomfortable with so mm. that would be a priority to first understand is there anything are there any outcomes in that thing which is you know is my god that isn't working how we theorize it to work and we, we you know and and we really need to look further into that and understand what's going on the second one is about kind of okay things are sort of working as they they think they will work but we're noticing that some clients aren't getting as good outcomes as others because of the way services work and etc so what do we need to develop how do we need to change things and there's a priority there i mean the third one is quite specific to us which is kind of telling, and, and everyone is really telling a good news story which is useful for different different services for us for funding for you know if you're a bank it's useful in terms of saying that you're good guys is you know how your services the good outcomes the good you do in the world and the fourth one which is particular for us but i think it's increasingly we're understanding it's true for um service providers financial service providers as well is when we're looking at the spread of outcomes that we see um, we'll see some we will see and you will find some clients who 
get worse outcomes. So for instance, in debt advice, what we found is our clients that have negative budgets at the time of seeking advice. We've got two reports on our website where you can look at this. Um, those that get ne have negative budgets at the time, they can't make ends meet at the time of advice. That patterns tends to pattern worse outcomes even 15 months later. So the question there is, what of this can we do to change? But actually, is there something here about the world? And that's where it gets really deep is then thinking about the world. So think about credit. You know, someone who's using credit, but that credit is ultimately harmful for them. You need credit overdrafts. You need an overdraft to feed your kids. But if you keep using the overdraft, you're stuck in persistent overdraft debt, which is also harmful. So what's the solution to that conundrum? What's the, so that's the fourth story where it's maybe something that you can't do alone, but you are starting to understand the broader needs of your clients and how they may be sold. So mm -hmm. I've slightly dodged the question there, not I say two specific measures, because I don't think it works like that, but instead I've given you four outcome stories, different lenses with which to look at outcomes and a sort of priority that people might work through those. I'm, te I'm tempted, Pete, to say that's not good enough, uh, but I, I, we've got one, buy Fair one, enough. get one free. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not satisfied with the outcome. <laughs> exactly exactly um J jane i'm just going to drill down and just just move move us a, another step forward and uh peter was talking there about where uh outcomes and needs are not met um and the fca um, they want firms to evaluate evaluate where they've not met the needs of vulnerable consumers so the improvements can be made so just to get us um, started on this i mean how should firms go about doing this so I do think I think it is part of that continuous circle actually. So I think it is from a from a an outcome perspective, we've we've touched on it, you know, it's about listening to customers through things like, you know, customer satisfaction surveys, perhaps using tools like complaints, root cause analysis to understand where things perhaps haven't gone um, as well as, as the customer had had hoped and you know to under, identify sort of improvements in that space. Uh, so I think there is that kind of definitely that customer feedback point to, to understand there's the kind of the outcomes piece we've been talking around in terms of using data to to you know for your products and services are they delivering the the outcomes to your to your customers that you were expecting or is there any particular areas uh, or, or cohorts of customers that perhaps are finding that more more challenging i think the thing does really does feed you back into that kind of understand your customer base so mm -hmm. three things that we've touched on i think before you know lived experience working with um third parties, the colleagues who, who are interacting with, with the customers on a day-to-day on -day basis, a great source of understanding where, where um, customer needs may, may be. I think using all of that kind of um, information and research to kind of feed back in to understand how you can continue to um, provide the flexibility and, and improvement for your products and services would mm. be where I would start. That's, that, that, that's yeah. really, really helpful. And Ian, do you, do you want to come in there? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, and I think this is, it takes us to a design point. So um, I think the really crucial thing for firms to think about is, you know, Peter's talked about identifying the areas where because of the products and services you offer and because of the customers you're dealing with, there is the potential for a poor outcome to occur. So next step in that is that you think about, right, how am I going to fix that outcome? But then the bit that quite often gets missed at the time is, and how am I going to know if it's working? Hmm. Um, so how are you going to measure it? What are your metrics going to be? Um, and you need all of that to feed that virtuous circle that James has been talking about. And, and sadly, what I see quite often is that we do all the really good work in terms of having the right intentions, but then we're not able to be really definitive about whether it's working in practice or not. So 
uh, and we end up measuring what we can measure rather than what we'd like to be able to measure. So mm. to build that into your requirements, don't make measuring it an afterthought. Don't just put it out there and see what happens. Be clear about how you're going to measure it at the start and be clear about what your appetite is. So it might be to start with, we want to make sure that it's working 75% of the time. But in six months time, we want that to be 90. And in 12 months time, we want it to be every single time a customer goes through that process. Mm. Um, and, and that feeds into one of the FCA's other comments in FG21, which is about the policy practice gap. And what they're talking about there is where firms have all the right intentions, have a strategy, know what they want to do for their vulnerable customers. But because it's so difficult to deliver at an individual customer level, and it's such a hard job for colleagues to do where colleagues are involved, it doesn't always work out in practice. So mm. that's that's fine. I think we accept that. But the important point is you've got to be able to measure it so that you know when it hasn't worked, so that you can step in and put it right. Mm. So as, um, as, 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 as Vicky Reynolds-Jones uh, mentioned right, right at the start, might want to members of the audience and do get your questions in, um, it's trying to be as clear as possible at the outset about you know our destination where we want our customers to to end up but something you were saying there Ian which really interested me was uh you seem to be playing, making sure that you also have have the data around the outcome measure to help you understand that because if you don't have those metrics in place to understand the different types of vulnerable customers the different type of support needs maybe that outcome measure becomes slightly blunter well it certainly becomes more assumptive so you have to you have to work with a feel about whether things have gone right or not and you may be you know some of peter's points you maybe don't find out until later whether it has or whether it hasn't where you mm. think it's worked and then six months later the customer comes back and says i'm still in the same situation i was before or actually it's even worse that really sensible thing you said to me hasn't worked or i didn't really understand it um so how do you how do you measure it and how do you measure it at different points in the, the journey? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there, there definitely is a, there is a question as to, you know, it's obviously worth doing something, but there is a question about how much effort you should put into something if you can't tell whether it's worked or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so thinking about when we're starting off here and I'll open this up to all of you, but I'll, I'll go to Peter first. Um, Ian was talking there, about this challenge between um, what we we can measure, um, but what we feel we, we should be measuring that that gap between the two. So, it, you know, it's it's one thing to have the outcomes laid out in front of you, know exactly what you'd like to to measure or feel that you should measure or be expected to measure by the FCA. But starting off, Peter, how, how do we how do we control that? How do we have a controlled strategy? to developing these outcomes and measuring if we're starting from the ground floor up? So um, go back to something that Ian said, which was about appetite, which I think is very important. Um, I mean, those two things, clear measure and appetite, you've got clear measures of outcomes and an appetite to act on that. Uh, and then you're a long way towards um, having a, good, a great vulnerability strategy or dare I even say, you know, towards the consumer duty. So I think they are two really important things. Um, so going back to the start, I mean, the starting point of developing good outcomes is kind of having some sort of, you know, that sort of self-reflectiveness of having a, a solid basis of what you're trying to do. Um, in terms of measuring it, so how do you go about measuring it? So I think the kind of 
the thing about what we can what we can measure and what we ideally should measure is a bit of a false dichotomy in so much as it's it's more there that there are things that you can measure say or are measuring with BAU um, and then things that you need to go beyond that to measure which you actually have to commit new resource to to measuring and that's where appetite comes in so trying to try to kind of get and drill down into the real understanding of what's going on may require new resources and some different approaches and again going back to earlier the conversation about asking customers and understanding the customer insight so just having to think about that you know so what what are the data approaches so well most firms will have a lot of uh, quantitative data about their clients. We know as a debt advice provider, we've got lots of data about our clients. And that's a good starting point. So we have a vulnerability identifier and we can use that and explore that to cross tab other data to try and build a picture about what those clients, and bear in mind they're not sort of homogenous, but what, um, what they may look like and therefore kind of what we might have to think about in terms of the way that we look at outcomes. Um, and so you've, you'll already have BAU data, how to use that. And the advantage of that sort of data is service data is and that kind of that kind of quant data is that it tends to be sort of quite sharp, you know, and clear. It's, it's X or it's Y. Um, it's quick, relatively quick to get at, but it has limited, limited depth of really understanding what it's like from a client's perspective. And therefore, it's quite firm centered. So if we use our just to use our quant data, we might get a good description of what our vulnerable clients look like that we can then look against our um, our sort of theory of change. Uh, but we won't really understand how that is for clients. So what, what we did is we developed a sort of qual strategy, a survey based strategy of surveying clients. Now, that's really quite hard um, and you know it's not an easy thing to do. Um, it's slow it's fuzzy, it doesn't give you clear, um, bright lines uh, very often. But what it does give you is it gives you a sort of deeper insight and a, and a client-centered, a customer-centered insight. So that kind of strategy, so you start your strategy off with a, with a sort of good hypothesis about outcomes, which we've talked about. Then you need a sort of data acquisition strategy. And I guess the point here is start by thinking about what you've got and what insight you can get from the data that you, you gather in the sort of normal course of events. What other kind of quantitative data might you need to gather um, but then you know might start thinking about well how do you drip in what we might call qualitative data how do we start finding out in a bit more context about what happened to clients how clients talk about what happened to them and what it meant to them now that's not easy and it takes a while to build up data so the challenge you have there whether you're a debt advice charity or a you know a a small financial advice firm or a great big huge multinational bank is thinking about how much of that data if that qual data is, is, is telling you a fuzzy but a compelling story what's the what's the threshold for you to act on that so that comes back to appetite is is at the end of it there's an appetite that you you have to think about how much data and what sort of data you want to have you need in order to mm. change what you're doing and mm. in outcomes work and if what you want to do is ask your client and you want to get a, a client-centered approach to that that may be a bit more fuzzy than people are used to dealing with mm. yeah that's Ian. Yeah, I was just going to say it's horses for courses, isn't it? So if we take a couple of examples we've given, so we might come across customers who need, um, you know, documents in an alternative format, 
So you might not need to ask the customer so much about that. It might just be a question of, did you provide it? Did you provide it within your SLA? Now, every now and again, you might need a more general review that says, can you understand the documents when you get them? But that might be a fairly binary outcome measure. But for something more complex, you might, um, I think you made the point, Chris, earlier on, that you know it might not just be about asking the customer what they need as the point of delivering the outcome, but it might be a question of monitoring the degree to which you deliver the process that you set out to deliver, but also every so often surveying some of these customers to work out whether the thing you're delivering is the right thing in the first place. Mm. So, so it comes back to the point I was making, which is when you design what you're planning to do, think about how you're going to measure it. And that's about thinking about which are the most appropriate tools for the, for getting the information you need to know. Mm. Absolutely, um, and 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 Jane, it, it's it's interesting there. There was there were comments. Uh, Pete was alluding to um, maybe some of the resource costs um, of actually taking this work on, which are going to range uh, and particular also impact you in different ways if you're a much smaller organisation. Uh, how do you approach this in terms of knowing where to put your resources? knowing where to place the the priority given there are, there seem to be so many different outcomes that you could measure when it comes to vulnerability yeah i think i think it goes back to probably what, what kind of peter and, and ian were kind of summarizing there i think there is a kind of start from that position of what is it you're trying to to understand uh, and and what other uh, if you don't have that information internally, uh, you may have some of the picture. Trying to think about innovative ways, I think, of other data that's available that, that could help you understand um, either identifying a, a particular customer need uh, or um, whether, whether you, th you think customers uh, are receiving the, the outcome that you're looking for. So I'll give you an example. So, for example, um, if you take things like the, the deprivation index, you know, we can we can see a correlation there between customers who are uh, a victim of fraud. That the correlation for certain types of fraud is more prevalent in certain in certain areas, and that can help you understand, uh, you know, whether there's more more uh, treatments or um, awareness raising or, or whatever it is you're looking to do that you may want to do with a with a certain uh, group of customers. So I think it's around identifying what what you're looking to to measure. What other things are out there that you might not have to hand? It might not always be that you have to build something. It might be sort of different layers and lenses you can apply to to help you with that thinking. That's great. At, at the end, I'm going to come to all three of you and ask um, if there was a resource, something that people could read or perhaps something people could turn to to learn more about outcomes uh, and, and outcomes and vulnerability if such a thing exists. But I'll give you a little bit of thinking time about that. But just moving on, I'm going to put this one just to, to Ian. Um, there might be a tension here. The, the FCA says that firms may want to carry out proactive data analysis to identify where vulnerable customers are more likely to suffer harm when things have gone wrong. And we've sort of touched on that a little bit. Um, but does this mean um, proactive data analysis on vulnerability is now kind of optional because they may want to carry this out? And if firms do take this step, you know, what does this mean for the outcomes debate? So I go back to what I said about them being a principles-based outcome-focused regulator and judging with hindsight. My word of warning would be if they find a situation where harm has occurred and they think you could have spotted it first, they'll point to you to the fact they said it was a sensible idea. 
I think when we spoke to them, they said the fact they put it in as a May is not necessarily because that's not where they expect people to go, but it's because there wasn't sufficient best practice in existence yet for them to draw on that to formulate guidance in the way they've done with the rest of it. So I, I'd be taking it pretty seriously. However, I think it's good. Like everything else it says in the guidance, it's about reasonable steps. So if you were sat on data that you could access and that data would have told you that there was a cohort of customers who were heading for harm before it happened and you chose not to act on it, I think they'd take a fairly dim view. On the other hand, do they expect you to profile every customer to the degree where, you know, when they catch a cold, you start showing interest? then, you know, no, I don't think, I, I, I don't think they would. But I do think there is a benefit to firms in doing this. So let, let's, you know, not forget all of this, that it is probably easier to nudge somebody in the right direction before a problem happens than it is to solve the problem when it occurs. And, and you know, financial difficulty is a great example of that. So the industry has spent a lot of time and effort and money and fines dealing with what we do with customers when they end up in financial difficulty. And there's been a sea change across the financial services industry to move towards forbearance, breathing space, and you know all the things we're now starting to see enshrined in regulation. But now that we've done that, surely the sensible next step is to try and see if there are any common characteristics amongst those customers. So the reverse of Peter's point, 12, 18, 24 months before the problem crystallizes, not afterwards, and starting to think about whether there is anything that we could do, even if it is just checking the customers okay, because a steer in the right direction or a little bit of forbearance at that stage might save a lot of distress, time, uh, and you know, written off fees and charges further down the line if we can turn off the tap before the bath overflows. No, absolutely. And the chime in the background is uh, every time we've got to another hundredth mention of outcomes, uh, <laughs> that, that, that comes up. So here's the pen penultimate question, uh, and I'll go to Peter first, then to Ian, then to Jane. Uh, we now have this established vulnerability guidance from the FCA, including this emphasis on outcomes. So what does the current FCA consultation on a potential consumer duty add to the debate about outcomes? Is it more of the same? Vulnerability and outcomes for all or something different? Peter. Uh, again, it's another good question. So the consumer duty, we've got, I think, another two weeks before we have to put our responses in. Uh, so we're still thinking about that. Um, I mean, I guess the starting point for it, and then um, sort of Ian, Ian's led us towards the answer from that. I guess the feeling is at the moment in the FCA, you look at that paper that um, they, they, they sort of say, you know, TCF hasn't worked as we expected. And I think part of that is, so you said that they judge with hindsight. So part of the consumer duty and consumer has been banged on about this from ages is reg regulation and which is what kind of both vulnerability and measuring outcomes is really all about is preventing things from happening it's not remedying afterwards it's looking at the experience of that's happened now to stop those things happening in the future um uh going forwards rather than rather than backwards um so that to me seems uh, what the consumer duty is all about and it does or should add something different um certainly um there's a big focus on evidence in there and you know 
views out in the world is that will this raise the evidential bar so will the consumer duty be more about going show that you have not just um you know looked looked at evidence of harm um, and then remedied it show that you are using your data to understand the likelihood of harm and prevent it uh, which is quite a change in in focus um, the the paper talks very much about kind of moving across the product you know all the way across the product service design uh, cycle so it's kind of it, it's sort of deep it's looking into everything you do so in theory it should add and it should work with the vulnerability guidance in, in a sense it gives a mindset a cultural mindset that goes goes alongside the sort of specific focus of the vulnerability guidance is saying hey you got to think about this. You've got to think about the people that your services may be underserving or actually doing harm to and how you're going to make sure that doesn't happen. The consumer duty is kind of saying, OK, how are you going to embed a culture in your firm, in your service provider, so that you are looking and thinking all the time about ooh, what my outcomes might happen for different clients and stop that problem before it starts. And actually maybe go a bit further, not just stopping problems, but go a bit further and say, actually, how can we add value to those outcomes? I mean, people are doing that at the moment. Lots of things, you know, lots of different uh, 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 banks talking about helping people to save through various different, you know, that's an added value. That's mm. something that people have thought about how we can. So I think the consumer duty is about those sort of things. It's about trying to create a culture where what we're talking about today, vulnerability, um, measuring outcomes, looking to prevent harm, looking to get those to design in good outcomes it's absolutely central to what firms will do the key bit of all of this comes back to those points of appetite so mm. how will this apply now how will it be picked up by senior management how will it be embedded in everything how will it become part of business strategies these are the things that it's so it's a question that we're asking at the moment is we hope the consumer duty will add value and it will build on what we've got it's not certain yet that it will do there are some questions in there that how will the rubber hit the road but if it mm. hits the road as we think it's meant to then it will definitely add enhance and, and give another sort of dimension of embedding the work on vulnerability. Ian, what's your appetite for the consumer duty in terms of outcomes <laughs> and vulnerability? So I slightly different take, I think. I, my take is that the need for a consumer duty is more a comment on perceived effectiveness of the FCA's enforcement activity. So I would draw the parallel to SMCR that was introduced after the financial crash where the FCA said, well, we've got the powers to deal with uh, you know, executives who make the wrong decisions and might have helped you know, lead to the financial crash. And everybody said, okay, well, show us where one of them's gone to prison then. And nobody had. So we had SMCR introduced as an overlay that didn't necessarily change any of the conduct expectations, but it did make people specifically accountable and it did introduce a set of penalties now whether or not those have been used is still a moot point but um you know that that's the point so i think you know this is you know the fca saying and their initial response to the call for a duty of care was we don't need one we've already got principles of business our principles of business already say you must treat people fairly and where we find that people haven't been treated fairly we will take action um but i think what we've seen is that that's not passing muster so I think we might see one or two more principles for business added uh, as a result of this. Uh, you know, I'm not sure we'll see anything more fundamental than that. But to Peter's point, I think you might see the FCA 
being expected to show their teeth a bit more rather than just waiting until things have gone really wrong and then taking um you know retrospective enforcement action and and fining people and you know warning them about their future conduct mm. to the point where they might start to ask for that evidence that peter was talking about about you know so don't just show us that things haven't go, gone wrong show us that you've designed them in such a way that they can't go wrong fantastic jane in a sentence peter mentioned prevention ian mentioned prison what would be your <laughs> kind of uh, in a sentence take <laughs> Well, there's only a couple of these in there. I think obviously this is the first stage of a two-stage consultation. So I'm conscious that it's, what we have now may not be the final version that gets that gets kind of published next next year. I think um, in terms of vulnerability, uh, I think it emphasises uh, in its current form, I guess, the, the need for firms to really put themselves either in the shoes of their customers or kind of next to their customers in delivering those those good outcomes. Um, you know, the landscape has, the financial services landscape has changed, evolved, I guess, significantly, really, kind of new products, kind of greater digital banking. And so whilst these these developments are really positive, there are, you know, additional risks and the mm -hmm. consumer duty back to this kind of design point, uh, you know, has the potential to to kind of look to um, give the FCA some more, I guess, tools in its in its in its toolkit to, to look at firms in that in that way. Lovely. Last question in a sentence from each of you, just very, very brief, starting with Ian. Uh, a resource on outcomes. Where can we go to learn more about outcomes and vulnerability? Ian. Um, I think you could do worse than start with the FCA's financial live survey and the COVID follow up that they did. So if you want to see, you know, a, a, a national picture of customers circumstances in terms of their financial health and, and well-being, and the outcomes that they're currently experiencing and the outcomes they think they may experience in the future, then that's a fairly good place to start. Lovely. I thought you were going to mention the Vulnerability Academy starting on September the 2nd, but you, you, you did it there. Peter, I thought you were going to do that. <laughs> Peter Tuffin in a sentence, a good resource. Uh, so I'm not sure that there is one. We've sort of bust a bit. I mean, there's good resource academics. We worked with a university that you know well, Chris, um, to help us develop our vulnerability, our um, outcomes framework. Um, there are different things out there. There's a charity evaluation network that do good stuff. There are various people that do social return stuff that links into outcomes. Whether there is a debate and a central place on measuring outcomes in the same way that there is that you created around vulnerability is an interesting question maybe maybe we need to make that resource a bit more um so there are things out there whether there's one guidebook that works i think don't know not there may be not one, Someone... not, one, not one yet and maybe uh bristol uh might might produce that uh jane I would actually say, actually, you know, the, the financial life survey uh, and and actually the the vulnerability guidance, you know, as a as a starting point to think about understand, you know, that. Fantastic. Sadly, that's all we have time for. Uh, starting on September 2nd, you can join our Vulnerability Academy, uh, which covers every major expectation uh, from the FCA, including outcomes. And I'm sure if you say Deepak Chopra sent you and he's never wrong, they'll give you a discount. But until the next time, thank you very much to Peter Tutton, Jane Roderick, Ian Phillips and your good selves. And we mentioned uh, outcomes 233 times. Thank you very much. See you again soon.